63. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing, my lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Next reading is Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, it's on page 828 of the Bibles. It's Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled uh, to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory to, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to be with you again. My name is Paul. And we're looking at the Psalms, so please turn back to Psalm 63. As I said last week, I really am taking a preacher's privilege these last two weeks. I'm just preaching on my two favorite Psalms, Psalm 62 and Psalm 63. Uh, we learned from Psalm 62 what it really means to trust in God at all times. Remember that? Trust in God alone at all times. And today's psalm is really a psalm about your soul. It's a psalm about your soul. Apparently the soul is big business these days. Everyone's talking about the soul. If you're an author, put the word soul on, the, on your title of your book and your book sales will increase by about 15% apparently. Everyone is concerned for their soul. So I want to ask you as I kick off this morning, how is your soul? How is your soul? It's a question that English people often ask each other in church, that is. How is your soul? 
remember when I first became a Christian 20 years ago, people said, how's your soul? And I was thinking, what do they mean by that? What an odd question. How's your soul? It's a good question, though, when you understand what they're asking. They're asking, uh, how is your relationship with God at the moment? They're not asking how you're going in terms of your health or your job or your family, but how is your relationship with God? How's your soul? Are you walking closely with God at this moment in time? They're not asking, uh, did you once walk closely with God 20 years ago, but today, how's your soul? Are you close to God? Or does he seem like he's a long, long, long way away? Today, are you spiritually hungering after God more and more and more, or are you spiritually dry today? How's your soul? Are you striving to obey God and love God and be holy, or have you given up? And you've just succumbed to hypocrisy. How's your soul? It's a strange question, but it's a good question. As a church, we should learn to ask each other that question more and more and more. How's your soul? Not how's your job, how's your family, how's your work, whatever it is. How's your soul? But how do you answer that question? How do you measure how your soul is? Is it all about how you're feeling? Is it all about dependent on your circumstances, whether life is good or bad? Is your soul dependent on your circumstances? I reckon Psalm 63 is a, a gem of a psalm to answer that question, how's your soul? Let's look at the superscript. A psalm of David when he was in the desert when he was in the desert of Judah. You might think, oh, this is, must have been written when David was running from Saul, when he hid in the cave. It, it can't be then, because down in verse 11, David called himself the king. So David is already king. This psalm must have been written when David was being chased out of Jerusalem by his own son, Absalom. If you know your Bible, the story is that his own son Absalom tries to overthrow him and David flees Jerusalem, he flees the temple, he flees the palace, he crosses into the Kidron Valley, he crosses into the desert, and there he is all alone. So you read this psalm and you're supposed to picture the king all alone. He's in the desert. No food, no water, no friends, no luxuries. Nothing, just him. And that's why this psalm is so amazing, because as David thinks about what he wants more in life, what he wants most in life, he doesn't think about water and food and clothing and friendships and comforts. What does David long for? What does David need more than anything, anything else in life? And the answer is God. That's his biggest need. That's his biggest longing. That's what his soul is all about. I just long for you, God. The reason I love this psalm more than most psalms is it's really a psalm about how to respond to God when, when life hasn't turned out how you expect it. How to respond to God in the desert times, in the wilderness times, when your plans haven't turned out to be God's plans. How to respond to God when you feel distant from God or you feel alone. 
how to respond to God when, to quote John Piper, you're sucking for air in this quicksand of your own emotions. How to respond to God when you just feel uh, distant and you feel dissatisfied and you're thinking, where are you, God? And the answer is Psalm 63. How's your soul? Two points this morning. The first is this. I'm thirsting for God. The right response, how's your soul, is I'm, I'm longing for my God. I'm thirsting for him. Verse 1, David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's almost like David's physical location called the desert is actually a picture of his spiritual situation. His physical location in the desert is a picture of his spiritual situation. He's in the desert. He's in the wilderness. That's how he feels about God. He feels alone. And so he thirsts for God. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly or eagerly is a better translation. Eagerly I seek you. I long for you. I thirst for you. I pant for you. I yearn for you. The, 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 the important thing is that God hasn't dropped off his radar. Even when he feels distant, God is still there on his radar. It's a beautiful word, thirsting. Verse, verse 1, my soul thirsts for you. I don't think we get the strength of his longing because we've never really thirsted. We've never been thirsty. Oh, sure, we've had those times where we're a bit parched. Our throats were a bit dry. I was doing a wedding yesterday. It was, it was boiling hot, and I was in a suit, and I was thirsty, and my mouth felt dry. But I just walked into my office, and I just got a, a glass out, and I, I turned the tap, and out came some water, and I quenched my thirst. But, you know, put yourself in a situation where you haven't drunk for days. And there's that longing there's that need, that desperation, if you want. That's the kind of feeling that David has towards his God. A longing, a need, a desperation. On Friday, uh, our son Sam stacked himself on the scooter. Grazed his elbow, grazed his leg. At that time when you're hurting, let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say... I'd love some words of advice and some words of wisdom on how to respond. I'd love some lollies to cheer me up. He just said, I want my mum. I need my mum. That's how David feels. Not I want water, not I want food, not I want clothing. I want my God. I need my God. Now, how can David thirst like this? It's because he's got that personal, intimate relationship with God. Verse 1 again. Oh, oh God, you are you're my God. Let me be very clear here. David is not the kind of guy who says, God, if you're out there somewhere, if you really exist, then God, I'm looking for you. I need you. David is a man who says, I know you're my God. I know you love me. I know you care for me. I know you're powerful. I know you're sovereign. You're my Lord. 
And that's why I'm crying out to you and I'm a longing for you. I need to be close to you again, God. Please don't miss that word, my. When we read the Bible, we often miss really important words. He doesn't say, oh God, you are God. He says, you're my God. Underline that word, my, you are my God. Now think about your life. Think about the people in your life. Who do you use that word, my, with? You're my wife, you're my husband, you're my mum, you're my dad, you're my son, you're my daughter. That word my is a word for deep, intimate, personal relationship. And when David looks at the, the creator God, he says, you're my God. I know you. He's almost saying, you know, because you're my God... I'm going to keep on looking for you. I'm longing for you. I know that you never go away. I know that you're always there. My emotions are up and down, but you're my rock. And that's why he says in verse 1 again, my body longs for you. I just want to be close to you again. You ever experienced longing for a loved one? When the person that you love goes overseas and you just feel their absence? What happens when they're arriving back in Australia and you're there waiting at Sydney Airport? And you're standing there in the arrivals lounge and you're just waiting. And when you see them, when you see them walk through the customs, I hope you don't stand there with an A4 piece of paper with their surname written on it like a taxi driver. I hope you run up to them and you're oblivious to everyone around you and, and you just hug them because... They're there, and your longing has been met. That's how David feels. My body longs for you. I just want to be close to you again. David knows his God. He's his God, my God. And maybe maybe that's why this psalm makes no sense to you. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, what is Paul talking about? And maybe it's because you, you don't have that personal relationship with God. He's not your God. Maybe like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus found her and exposed her real needs and, and showed her that she could have this water that spurs her to eternal life, that she would never thirst again. Maybe that's you and you're not yet in a real living relationship with Jesus. You haven't said, my Lord and my God, if that's you, this psalm will make no sense at all. But if you have said those words, if you have looked into the eyes of Christ and said, you died for me, you love me, you've forgiven me, you're my God, then you know what this is like. You know what it's like to feel distant from God. And you know what it's like to thirst for him and to long for him. The reason David feels like this is because he looks back to the time when he once saw God and was close to God. Verse 2, he said, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and your glory. David is saying, I, I remember those days, you know, when I walked to the temple, and the temple really was a visual spectacular. I remember the days when I walked up the hill and the priests were there, and I carried my animal and I slaughtered it, and the blood was shed. And I remember the days where I saw the smoke from the Holy of Holies, and I witnessed your power and your glory. And I remember walking away from the temple and that relief of being forgiven. I remember that, I remember that. But now, but now I'm all alone in the desert, and I'm cut off from the temple. And maybe that is you. Maybe 
you're here this morning, you're saying, I remember the days when I was really close to you, God, and I came to church, and it's like I was being fed, and the, the preacher was talking to me. And I remember the days when I read the Bible by myself, and I, I lapped it up. And I remember the days when I, I sang your praises, and I, I had just joy in my heart. And it's not like that, God, anymore. Well, maybe you've forgotten verse 3. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. It's a verse that has been vouched by a whole army of martyrs. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. David does not say, Lord, Lord, if you love me, then you would rescue me. Lord, if you love me, then you'd give me what I want. Lord, if you, if you really loved me, then you would... You would stop my enemies. Lord, if you really love me, you return me to my homeland. Lord, if you really love me, you give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. There's no if there. It's a because. Lord, because you love me, your love is better than life. So what more do I need? That word for love in verse 3 is a very unusual word. It's not your romantic love. It's the, the hesed word. It's a steadfast love. It's an unchanging, unmovable unmerited, pledged love. It's a similar word that is tried to capture in the old marriage ceremony. It used to say at the end of the marriage ceremony, I, I pledge thee my vow. I pledge thee my vow. Just meaning, you know, I'm committed to this. Uh, we might have good times and bad times, but I'm pledging myself to you. That's the word for the love. It's a pledged love. It's a loyal love. No matter what the cost, no matter what you deserve it or not, that is the love that God has shown you in Christ. A steadfast love. An immovable, unchanging, unmerited, undeserved love. So as God has said to you, no matter what happens, no matter what you do, I've pledged to love you. And when you've seen that love, and when you've understood that love, and when you're secure in that love, you can say what Jonathan Edwards said. He said this. Listen really carefully. When you've understood the reality of God's love, you become satisfied with God for who he is, and not just the benefits he can give you. When you've understood the reality of God's love, you become satisfied with God for who he is and not just for the benefits that he can give you. It's almost like David is saying, God, I don't have water, I don't have food, I don't have clothing, I don't have friends, I don't have my temple anymore or my palace anymore, but God, I've got your love. And so what more do I need? And maybe today you need to learn to, to rest in God for who he is and not just what he can give you. God, your love really is better than my family and my house and my job and my car and my holidays. Your love is really better than my friendships and my music and my books and my computers. And they're all good things, God, but I don't need those things because I've got your love. How do you do this? How do you learn to thirst for God like, like David did? He tells you in verse 4, it's just about talking to God more. 
I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. He's talking about praying. I'll praise you, and in your names I will lift up my hands. That, that's just the posture of, the, of prayer in the Old Testament. Lifting up your hands. It's actually a really good, helpful, visual reminder of what prayer is about. Lord, I'm coming to you with empty hands, and I'm not God. I'm just humble here. I'm just your little servant, and I need you. I'm dependent on you, Lord. I'm just standing here today bringing my needs and my requests to you. That's the way you thirst for God. Remind yourself that he loves you. Remind yourself of his power, of his glory. Reminding yourself that you're a sinner saved by grace. Just keep preaching the gospel to yourself and keep talking to your God. Maybe you are here today and you're in the desert and you feel distant. Well, God hasn't moved. People often say to me, oh, Paul, I'm really spiritually dry at the moment. I'm really spiritually dry. And the right response is, well, where are you looking to go to to quench your thirst? Where are you going to to quench your thirst? Are you snacking on the, the treasures of this world or are you running to Christ again? It's the most wonderfully refreshing verses. How's your soul? My soul is thirsting for God. Secondly, and more briefly, my soul is feasting on God. Verse 5. I hate pointing out a bad translation, but, but verse 5 is a bad translation. I'll, I'll read it literally. It says, listen, see so you can spot it. My soul is satisfied as with the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth praise you. My soul is satisfied. It's not talking about being satisfied. It's not a future hope. This is a present reality. In the desert, in the wilderness, David can say, my soul is satisfied because I'm feasting on the richest of food. The best food, which is knowing my God and, and, and being secure in his love. That is David. He has a new sense of God, a new sense of his love and his power and his glory. As Tim Keller would say, the information has become sensation. It's a great phrase. The information becomes sensation. And that thirsting and that longing for God and what he knows about God has been translated into a, an experience of God, a sensation of God. See, there's a difference between just believing something and really sort of experiencing it, a difference between your, your rational belief and, and that, that deep-seated satisfaction and contentment and the, 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 the void has been filled. That's David. My soul is satisfied with God. My problems are still there, but I'm now satisfied. So how does he do that? Two ways. Verse 6, he meditates on God's word. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of, of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. What David does is that he meditates on the character of God. As he falls asleep at night, his mind is not filled of, filled of anxiety and stress and violence and filth and greed. His mind is filled with his God. We need to recapture 
the, the meditation on God's character. We need to recapture, not just reading about God's holiness, not just reading about God's love, not just reading about God's sovereignty and His faithfulness and His grace, but actually experiencing it. There's a difference between reading your Bible and actually allowing the Bible to shape you and change you. There's a difference between being able to quote verses and allowing those verses to really fill you and so you're actually secure in those verses. In times of stress, in times of anxiety, it's good to, to pull out a verse, a fighter verse, you know. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares. That's true. But there's no point in knowing that verse unless you actually do it and live it and trust it. That's what David does. I know you love me. I know you're powerful. I know you are glorious. And so, verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right, your right hand upholds me. God, I know you won't let me go. God, I know you're a God of justice. I know, verses 9 to 11, that those who seek my life will be destroyed. I know all this stuff about you, God, because now I'm just dwelling in your presence and I'm meditating on your character. You cannot expect to feast on God if you don't make time to spend with God. You can't expect to feast on God unless you make time to spend with Him. I know we're busy, but just carving out time just to focus on His character, spend time in His Word, not just learning verses, but allowing those verses to shape you and to change you, and so you actually sense the Word of God, not just filled with information. The second way you feast on God is a very simple word that we just seem to neglect in our lives. And the word is praise. Praise. That's what David does. Verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live. Uh, verse 5. My, with singing lips my mouth praises you. Verse 7. I sing in the shell of your wings. He's saying, as I, as I think about God, as I thirst for God, as I feast on Him, the only response, the natural response, is to praise Him, to talk about Him, to adore Him, to love Him. See, here's my challenge. I don't think it's really possible to love something, to love someone, without talking about them. Is it possible to, to love your spouse without praising them and talking about them? Is it possible to say, oh, that was the most amazing meal I've ever been to without actually telling someone about it? Is it possible to say, oh, I've been to the most amazing place, seen the most amazing things, but you never actually tell anyone about it? And David is saying, when I've discovered that I'm in the desert, I'm dry, I'm weary, I'm hungry, but I've got my God and his love is better than a life, and I'm going to praise you, God. I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to talk about you to yourself. I'm going to say, God, you're my God and I love you. And I'm going to talk about you to other people. I'm going to praise you and my lips are going to be full of your words and your praises and your glory and your love. And I'm going to be singing. We'll express that differently. Some of us more reserved, others more expressive. But it's not possible to feast on your God and thirst for God unless you're actually praising him with your lips and with your lives. There's apparently an African fruit, it's called a taste berry. 
and this taste berry changes a person's taste and everything tastes sweet. Even the sourest of food, when you've tasted this berry, the sourest of food now tastes sweet. And it's kind of like David has discovered the taste berry. I'm in the wilderness. I'm lonely, hurting, persecuted, perplexed. But I've got my God. And the amazing thing is, friends, that we have seen God's power. We have seen God's love. We have seen God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ. And you could be sitting here this morning knowing that God's love you, knowing that God is glorious, knowing that God is powerful because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's your taste belly. Thirsting for God and feasting on God. I hope you're going to ask people over morning tea this morning, how's your soul? How's your soul? And you'll either say, oh, I'm, I'm thirsting for God. You know, I'm in a bit, of a bit of a dry patch, in a bit of wilderness, but I'm longing for God. Or you say, I'm feasting on God. I'm just delighting in Him. Because you can say that. It's not just wacky, weirdo Christians who say that. We say it. I'm thirsting for God. I'm feasting on God because I've got my Savior Christ. Let me pray. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Father, we acknowledge that sometimes life is tough and we go through desert patches and we're in the wilderness and we seem distant and we don't feel close to you. Lord, but we know that your love is real, is unfailing, is secure, is unconditional. Help us, Lord, please, to thirst, to long, to yearn for you again. And Lord, we, we thank you that you do satisfy us, that you satisfy our deepest desires and our deepest needs. And we thank you that you hold on to us with your mighty right hand. So please help us to keep clinging to you. In Jesus' precious name.